Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And uh, John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors <laughs> joins me in studio. You're going to speak to us about divorce today. Exactly. And uh, it's timely, isn't it? It is, because I've just listened to your news there, because yeah. I, got a, I got a text message from somebody abroad who said to me, when in the name of God are they going to bring in this change that they're talking about under the Constitution to reduce the term to two years? And I hear this morning our Justice Minister is doing more than just deal with Brexit. He's introducing the two years. And funny, because when I was looking and reviewing this for this morning, you know, I was saying to you that we do kind of what we call packs or information guides in different areas. And I was looking at our guide in family law and I was looking at the section and it starts with kind of, okay, introducing the firm and all that, but it goes on then to talk about the various options that you have if you are in difficulty in terms of your marriage. And I was looking at it and, and it it gives you three options or well there are four options, but it lists four options. Uh one is a separation agreement. And when I was reading that I said to myself, I need to review it a little bit or revise it a little bit because it used to be that all you could ever do was a separation agreement and there was no such thing as divorce or judicial separation in this country. So the only way you could ever kind of formalise things is by entering into a legal agreement. And I remember when I started way back when, I used to have filing cabinets. Do you remember those things, filing cabinets? I used I to have these filing cabinets. But now, now I don't have any filing cabinets because I'm paperless or we're paperless. But um, I used to have however many filing cabinets and one full filing cabinet or one cabinet was full of files in it with people who would come in and talk to me about you know that they want to try and formalise the arrangement etc try and enter into a separation agreement and the difficulty with it was that you can't force somebody to enter into a separation agreement. You can't bring somebody to the table and talk about their marriage if they won't talk to you about it, which of course probably stemmed from the difficulty that arose in the first instance. But when they then introduced judicial separation and divorce because they introduced judicial separation first, that was your an option, if you like, that you could actually bring to fruition because judicial separation is a legal court mechanism whereby you go to court and you say my marriage is over and I want you to adjudicate on how we're going to deal with the breakup of the marriage and a judicial separation order if you like is issued at the end of that the other option then that came in was divorce and divorce we're all reasonably familiar with divorce divorce and the main difference between divorce and judicial separation is the fact that you can remarry after divorce, you can't remarry after judicial separation. And that kind of brought me thinking about the fact that they introduced the Mediation Act in 2017. We're now 19, aren't we? Yeah, 2017, they introduced the Mediation Act. And that has brought mediation to a certain extent to the front end of this whole process because you can now have a mediation agreement which is legally enforceable. (coughs) So this mediation act basically kind of says that if you're going to try and resolve your problems you should try and resolve them through the process of mediation rather than through litigation if you know what I mean. So 
when I'm looking and at my booklet I'm saying to myself okay well how do we fit in the options that are available to you now in breakdown in a breakup of marriage because if you introduce the two year rule in when I say rule but if you introduce the two year time period into divorce you're now looking at the practicalities of going down the judicial separation route because if you can get a divorce after two years uh, is it worthwhile going down that route if you know what I mean because the judicial separation route the only significant difference between judicial separation and divorce was the right to remarry yes but the other big difference up to this was that you had to have a four year period before you could apply for a divorce so obviously once you shorten the time frame you're going to potentially disappear that option of yes. judicial separation because it's not going to be of any possibly of any practical uh, use to you if within two years you can get your divorce. It brings me in mind of bankruptcy, if you remember, because bankruptcy used to be five-year period and then they reduced to one-year period. So it makes it much more practical if you like to deal with bankruptcy rather than mm. maybe arrangement. So will judicial separation be, be off the books? Is, th- does it have any place then? Well, if I was going to predict it, I'd say it potentially will be off the books yeah. because of the time limit that you're talking about. People, it just goes straight to a divorce. I mean, why go through the cost um, of judicial separation and then go back in and deal with the cost of divorce? Now, you could start, which used to be very commonly the, the way it was done up to this, was that you'd start with a judicial separation and then if the four years elapsed by the time you got to the day of your mm. hearing, you then convert it to a divorce. So that may happen. You know, it may right. go down that road, if you know what I mean. And mediation then having a standing in law, w- would you explain that, John? Well, like, yeah, it, because mediation now has a has a stronger standing, and I think standing is probably a good way of putting it. It has a stronger uh, standing in law now because of the fact that if you are in a situation... You see... The whole kind of idea of divorce is that whether you like it or not, one of the parties can get a divorce. Mm. So in other words, it's not a two-way street. And in an awful lot of cases, people aren't in the same mindset, if you know what I mean. It's not uncommon for one party to be totally surprised that the other party actually wants to end the marriage. So if, but if you want to end a marriage if one party wants to end a marriage irrespective of what the reason of it for it is, they can end the marriage. All right, you don't need the other person to... You don't need consent. Okay. You know, you don't need consent. And the thing about that is, neither do you need to be blameless in terms of ending a marriage, if you know what I mean. So you could have been the reason that the marriage was over, but that doesn't find its way into the reason to grant a divorce if you know what I mean, because we have decided in Ireland to go down the no-fault route. Right. We're not like the Americans, you know, sitting in the hedge with the, the, with the, the camera, long lens, kind of yeah. the long lens. Yeah. We're not in a long lens divorce scenario in Ireland. Ireland is a no-fault divorce mm. situation. Do you think uh, that's a good thing, by the way? That's probably not a good question to ask me. Uh, <laughs> that's not a legal question, I have to say, Fran. Is it a good... Is it a good yes, I think, personally, I would say it is, because, you know, you don't... I mean, ultimately, my... 
if you like, philosophy when it comes to the breakup of marriage is that if a, if a relationship is over for whatever reason, what's really important is try and keep the family unit intact insofar mm. as if there are children involved, you, you want to try and keep those relationships intact and keeping those relationships intact also involves keeping the two adults' relationship intact insofar as they can continue to interact with each other mm. and particularly if there's if there's children involved in those circumstances if mm. you introduce fault divorce into that scenario and you're going to say well you won't get the divorce unless you can establish fault you're now going to introduce a very unhelpful dynamic mm. to maintain the integrity of the unit if you know what I mean going forward and I don't mean on an interpersonal basis but I mean just mm. from a family point of view you know? um, If in mediation then an agreement is reached in, in some sort of a way presumably then it has to be put before the judge is that, is that to, no, to make no, a final No actually and but interestingly enough the reason that I'm looking to have a re-look at separation agreements versus mediated agreements is and the reason that I, when I looked at it in Sporn I said well I must add another little bit to it to kind of nuance it a little bit but the thing about it is that if you the whole kind of dynamic of mediation is consent the whole dynamic of mediation is that you come to it voluntarily. The whole dynamic of mediation is that both parties actually want to go and do it, right? But when they introduced the Mediation Act, they kind of gave a little bit of a kick to it insofar as they said that if a judge directs people to go to mediation and or if people go to mediation and let's say they don't play ball, and they don't provide the information and they don't participate at all in any real terms. There's a kick there insofar as that can be taken into account subsequently in the particular case. So if it's a divorce action or a bit of litigation of any description, because the Mediation Act covers everything, not just divorce mm. and family law, if you know what I mean, it covers all areas of law. So the kick is that if you don't play a ball, the judge could say, well, wait a minute, Terry, now when it comes down to costs, I'm going to penalise you. So that, if you like, is a kind of an inverted incentive to get involved in mediation. And the, the, the thing about mediation is that even though people might come to mediation somewhat cynical, even though they may come to mediation thinking, I don't really want to get involved in this, and they may be kind of simulating a kind of a mediation mm. attitude, if you know what I mean. You know, sometimes during the course of mediation, people will suddenly say, well, wait a minute here, actually, this makes sense to actually get agreement here and get the thing finished and get closure on it. Because by far the most highest priority in my mind in terms of litigation or confrontation of any sort sometimes is actually getting closure on it. There's a very small minority of people that I've found, and this is entirely personal and a personal opinion, in that I've found that there's a very small minority of people that really want to keep fighting for mm, as long as it mm. takes, right to the end and even beyond right. the end. So it can be all wrapped up within... It can all, exactly. Mediation. So if you come right back to where I started with this, when I, when I start the booklet, the booklet starts with, uh, I won't call it a book because it's not big enough, but it starts with saying, what are your options? And option one is a separation agreement. And what I'm now saying in a very long-winded way is that within the separation agreement option, 
is your mediated agreement option because one of the most effective way I've found over the last number of years to do a separation agreement is to do is to prompt a mediation and through the mediated agreement do a separation agreement because effectively you can convert one to the other if you mm. know what I mean. Yes. They're effectively can be seen to be the same thing and the fact that now mediation is a much more central focus than it was makes that a much more realistic option when I had the, than when I had the filing cabinet full of files that went nowhere. I don't know, did I finish that story but the story on that one was that people would come in and would ask me and say my husband or my wife or whatever and I we're trying to talk to them and I would have to say well unless they're prepared to sit down and work out the terms of this agreement we're at nothing and that's why the cabinet was there full of files that never went anywhere and and again sorry just for my clarity Mm. so out of mediation you could you could wrap up a separation agreement but can you wrap up a divorce good question you can't right you can't because a divorce is and funny the, the first, the question before that question is that if you do a separation agreement, can you do a judicial separation? The answer is no, because they're the same thing effectively. Right. And that was litigated way back at the start. But can you do a divorce? Yes, you can. But can you do a divorce off the back of a separation agreement and off the back of a, of a mediated agreement and or a separation agreement, if you know what I mean? Mm. And the answer is, yes, you can follow on with the divorce if you know what I'm saying so right. let's say let's say you sit down and you do a mediated agreement within say 12 months and then the two years elapses I'm I'm taking your question as can you then go along and go well okay I now want to deal with it by way of divorce mm. can I just simply move all Transfer of her agreement yeah. and, and move it in the answer is not a definitive yes but from a practical point of view, it could be a yes. Right. And the only reason I say it could be a yes, or the only reason I'm not giving you a definitive yes on it, is that the court in Ireland ultimately retains a discretion or a power to say, no, I don't like that separation agreement. No, I don't like that mediated agreement. And the reason that the court retains that discretion is that the Irish courts consider that they have a an overriding obligation to ensure that proper provision is made for all of the family unit, i.e. the the partners in the unit and the children are dependents of the unit. So the court, if you like, retains this kind of overarching kind of control to say, yeah, okay, we'll allow you to go and sort things between yourselves and in fact we encourage you to do it But if you come into court and, for example, and just to go back to the Mediation Act scenario for a second, like if you do a mediated agreement, it's enforceable in court, which is new. That wasn't the case before 2017, Mm. which gives much more teeth to a mediated agreement. But like the court taking a separation agreement and converting it to a divorce, before it makes the conversion, it'll do a check. Likewise, with a mediated agreement, before the court will, like, let's say you mediate, let's you and I have a row, and let's say we do a mediated agreement, and let's say I don't honour one element of it, you can go into court with that agreement and say, we've mediated this agreement, court, I want you to order him to comply with it. The only 
kind of overriding kind of power that court will retain is the right to have a look at the agreement and go, I wonder was John under duress now? Fran was a very persuasive guy. I right. wonder was he under pressure here? And you might come in and say, I was actually, I was under, or I'm, I'm saying it of course. I'm, I'm, I say, yes, I was under pressure. He told me, I, you know, he'd throw me off the radio if I didn't try to, mm. and I, I then go in making that argument. The court will retain a right. So likewise, when you're dealing with converting a separation agreement to a divorce as in coming in with the same terms because after all a lot of people think that you can't get a divorce and or a judicial separation without having a full-blown row about it Mm. and you can't but yes you can right up to the last minute you can write out terms in other words you can negotiate terms on the scenario Mm. and you can work those out you can hand them up to the judge and say judge we've agreed this now here's all of what we've agreed so i could be standing in court handing up a separation agreement and or terms of, a, of, a, of an agreement that I've made and saying to the court, here, judge, this is what we've agreed. We're all happy with right. it. And the judge will say, OK, let's have a look at this. OK. Yeah, OK, I'm happy with it too. But there's always that. And the reason I can't give you the definitive answer is there is always the discretion in the court to say we must be satisfied that proper provision is made. My only worry there would be that one might tend to be rather open in a mediation situation. And then if it all falls apart, how much of that is admissible in a court Mm. case then? Very, very good question. Yeah, very good question. Because the core, the absolute core of mediation is confidentiality. The core of mediation is, as you say, the ability to be able to talk freely without having it being cited back at you later on, if you know what I mean, as in in the context of litigation. So, the only basis on which there is a reporting requirement by the mediator to the court in the event of a dispute, but it's quite limited. It's quite limited. It's limited to what was agreed what were the terms, not who said what or on what basis did you say it, if you follow me. Right. So the mediator's function is simply to report to the court what was agreed and whether, you know, are right. these the terms. So it's not like there was a stenographer there. No, absolutely not. Right. And, and as you say, if there was, it would be totally contrary yeah. to the whole process of mediation. And absolutely, in the same way as... You, if you were doing a, a negotiation, for example, prior to a divorce, which is very common, that you're sitting sitting or standing or walking around the court and you're trying to agree terms, it's quite common that you're going to negotiate those terms, but you wouldn't go into court with that and say to the judge, well, I was just talking to Van outside and we agreed this and we discussed this and he said that and you, I said this. That would be absolutely frowned upon because those are without prejudice discussions which shouldn't form find their way into a, a court in terms of hearing the case subsequently. The people coming into you now, by comparison to the people who might have come into you maybe 20 years ago, John, in terms they're, of... They're a lot, they're a lot older. They're a lot older, indeed, or maybe wiser, who knows. But, I mean, are they more educated in terms of what their situation is and what it is they can do, or or, or, or what? Oh, God. Well, they're much more open to the whole divorce scenario than they were. Uh, the whole divorce... I mean, I don't think things have changed hugely in terms of dealing with people. You still have the same, you know, as a practitioner, I presume you're asking me as a practitioner, have things changed? No, I mean, somebody comes in to me, 
the big change is the options that are available to people. I mean, the fact of the matter was that when I started, there were no options on family law. I mean, the separation agreement and, it, you know, that was it. Then you, you introduced all of the various options that are open to people. And all, once those options are open, then people have ways of dealing with things. So from that point of view, but you still have the same issues when people come in. You still have the fact that people aren't ready to deal with it. You still have the fact that people still need, you know, to mm. deal with their own personal issues first. You then you still have the de- you still have the going through the same trying to find the information. You still have to try and get exchange of information. Mm. You still have to strategize how you're going to deal with it because you see irrespective of how and what you're dealing with whether it's a separation agreement or whether you know it's a divorce scenario mm. you're you still have to go through all of the steps of you know somebody bringing somebody through that process and what's involved yeah. in it and sometimes as a practitioner you actually forget and of course there's still the big human element of that that's what I mean. the, so the, the as a practitioner you sometimes forget the human element yeah, sometimes yeah. you forget the fact that you know it's a process for people which is both personal and legal and the legal process is extremely cold I mean it is just purely and it has to be by its nature by its nature yeah. Yeah. By its uh, questions coming in that we might give you John that you might address uh, on some other occasion but mm. this one is kind of interesting it says can I ask a question of John I was married 19 years ago I got an annulment so my question is what is my marital status well annulment well, was it a church or a civil I w- well I, I thought there was only a church annulment isn't there no no you can get you can get a civil annulment oh right okay. yeah, yeah that's an interesting one and that's a good good one to actually ask me about because and <laughs> because at the end of this there are when I, when your listener was was listening to me, you see, there's separation agreement, judicial separation, divorce, but the little little kind of afterthought is nullity, okay? That, and that I, the marriage never took place yes, in the first place. There, there, there wasn't a marriage, yeah. so effectively you're you're saying there's no marriage, so you you you're unmarried when you're finished, if you know what I mean. So the marriage is null and void. Now. The funny thing about that is I literally got about five lines on it because what I've said is that once you introduce divorce in this country and judicial separation as well, once you introduce introduce those two, nullity took very much of a back seat because nullity was used to be kind of developing from a legal point of view over a period of time because if you like, you only ever had there was something called Divorce Amensa Torah and there was nullity. Divorce Amensa Torah was a kind of a old historical version of judicial separation. Amensa Torah is, your Latin again, it's separated from the bed and the table. Re- very descriptive way of, of, of dealing with judicial separation. Mm-hmm. Nullity was, there was never a marriage in the first place. Nullity was developing at a, at a pace prior to divorce because it was the only out, if you like, that you... you could remarry. Th- yeah, yeah, that you could remarry, yeah. yeah. And it was developing on the basis that you could get a nullity on the basis that there was lack of consent. You could get a nullity on the basis of improper uh, practices within the marriage. Mm. So there was kind of very kind of defined ways of doing it. Consent was the big one because consent was the one that was kind of evolving from a jur- jurisprudential point of view 
is that right, jurisprudential? That sounds like an insurance company. But anyway, insurance from a legal point of view, it was developing, and that was developing on the basis that people were immature and they didn't know what they were doing, right. kind of thing. And there was a huge, and that pulled right back once you introduced divorce. Right. So now nullity, but just nullity, you can you can always get a church nullity, but a church nullity is not the same as a civil nullity, right? And and if you get a church nullity, it doesn't mean that in no. the civil law no, that you're, no, you, you, no, no, you're still married uh, yeah, from a civil yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. You I could have a church nullity and be prosecuted for bigamy if you remarried. Isn't and there that was a couple of cases, yeah. There were a couple <sighs> of cases of people at church nullity and were prosecuted. I love the way our conversations <laughs> always end up <laughs> really removed from where we started, but brilliant stuff anyway. Listen, always a pleasure, John. Thank Thanks you. very much.